Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 286 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today will help you lead like never before. This was a fun interview. I've long admired John Townsend. Uh, I remember even like two decades ago. Uh, I think I talked about this in the interview, like uh, when dial-up was still a thing, and I was in leadership uh, clicking on videos that he and Henry Cloud did just to try to figure out how to improve my emotional intelligence. Anyway, many, many books later, he's authored 35 books. He's a business consultant, leadership coach, and one of the leading psychologists today. And uh, he's got some New York Times bestsellers to his name. And I'll tell you, one of the smartest people you're going to run into. He has written a lot with Henry Cloud. Uh, I did interview Henry Cloud earlier on in the podcast. So if you scroll back, you will find that at episode 160. And John and I talk about something I didn't even know was possible how to rewire your brain out of negative self-talk. Yeah, you can actually do that. Like he says, it changes the physiology, the neurons in your brain. Crazy stuff. He's doing a lot of brain research. We also talk about the seven kinds of people you need in your life and why most of us have the wrong people in our life and not enough of the right people in our life. Plus, I think this is a mission. I get him to tell me no. Uh, that is such an issue for so many of you. It's an issue for me. How do you say no to all the requests that come in? We have a fun little role play there that uh, I think you're going to enjoy. So anyway, that is today's episode. And we've got something fun coming up for you guys. I want to say thank you. It has been five years on the podcast as of September 10th. And so here's what we're going to do to celebrate. Every time we hit a milestone, you guys win. We're going to do a stack your library giveaway. Okay, one of the frequent pieces of correspondence we get from you guys via social and email is... I love the show. You're breaking my library bank. Like every time I'm buying a new book and guess what? I have another author on today. So here's what we're going to do. Because we're at five years and nine million downloads, we are going to give nine listeners their choice of five books. Okay. So any of the guests on this podcast, you can go back into the whole archive. Uh, I'm going to give you details on my social media. So check out Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. C. Newhoff on Facebook, C. Newhoff on Twitter, and you can learn to have a chance to win. Uh, we'll be sharing the graphics multiple times on each platform, so just get, head on over to my social. Nine winners are getting five books of your choice shipped directly to you, uh, just as a way of saying thank you for five years. Thank you for the ratings and reviews. We so appreciate it, and thank you for sharing episodes like this. Hey, do you ever uh, feel like you don't know where to start with volunteer training? Um, it can be hard. And particularly when you have hundreds or thousands or dozens of volunteers, um, it's hard to get everybody in the same place at the same time. So Ministry Grid makes it simple to train every volunteer and leader in your church. They've got a library of over 3,500 videos, 800 courses. You'll find training for every ministry area and leadership. And that's from volunteers to ministry directors Ministry Grid's scope and sequence of training makes it easy to know who gets what training. You can actually see who did what. And the best news, for the month of August, you get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for your entire church for an entire year for $399. And you're locked in at that price every year if you act now. So my church, Connexus, has been using Ministry Grid to train our volunteers. We're loving it. I'm also working on a few exclusive content pieces that will be delivered through Ministry Grid. On top of all this, if you purchase the subscription now in August, and you got to hurry to do that, 
you'll get a copy of my latest book, Didn't See It Coming, as a bonus offer on top of this great price. So if you want to take advantage of this deal, head on over to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry to get unlimited training for your church for a year for $3.99. That is ministrygrid.com forward slash carry. And then for your media needs, hey, fall is here. It's coming up. What are you doing to get the word out on social and to help your church kind of present the message in a relevant way? Well, Pro Media Fire can really help. But the question you probably ask if you're like me is, well, does it actually work? So we sat down with Tim Schmidt, a lead pastor from upstate New York. I asked him this question. Tim, what's the actual process like of getting media made with Pro Media Fire? How do you go from idea to finished products? Here's what he had to say. I think most pastors are great with ideas. We have a lot of concepts and things we want to get done. I found I was constantly frustrated with trying to actually bring them the execution. And that's when we decided to look outside and we found uh, Pro Media Fire and found out that we could just take our rough ideas, get them to them. They would uh, work on them, uh, talented designers, uh, anything from flyers and cards, invite cards, social media posts, uh, website pages, uh, any anything like that. Uh, we could give them rough ideas. They'd come back with a couple of concepts and um, in, in a real short period of time, we'd have a real quality uh, finished product. Just totally took the burden off of us. So if like Tim, you are looking for some staff at a fraction of the price of staff to do your media online and uh, for your services and all that, just head on over to promediafire.com forward slash carry. They do custom graphic design and video for a very reasonable price. Listeners of this podcast get 10% off plans for life if you go to promediafire.com forward slash carry. So guys, we got the giveaway coming. Hang out on the socials for that. And in the meantime, here's my conversation with business coach, leadership expert, and clinical psychologist, best-selling author, John Townsend. Well, I'm already laughing because we've had so much fun, but John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carrie. Hey, it's really great to be with you. Um, you. One of the things I love about what you do is you get a chance to work not just with pastors, but with top performing leaders in business, nonprofits, and the church space. There's got to be some frequent flyer issues, just some things that <laughs> you're like, wow, it's like going to the gym, right? It's like, well, eat less, exercise a bit more and try to get some sleep. Uh, what are the frequent flyer issues you keep running into with top performing leaders? Well, the biggest one, I think, is that when they get off the plane, they have to go to the gift store to find a souvenir to know what town they're in. That's not a good sign. <laughs> no, that's not a good sign. Exactly. Where am I? Yeah, uh, and, 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 and really, what and, and not only me, but just a lot of the CEOs and business owners that I, I deal with, is that um, they, have, they have to deal with this fantasy that you can really get a lot of work done on the plane. Um, you can get some work done on, but it, it becomes a self-care issue because by the time you get off that plane, you've got to hit the ground run. You grab the car and you get to the meeting and you do the presentation or you have the, the group thing and you, you get the troops inspired. And if you haven't taken care of yourself on that plane because you got 14 things to do, you don't, you don't have all of yourself. So it requires a lot of restraint and a little bit of selfishness to really maximize the flight for effectiveness. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the things that I think uh, unites top performing leaders and most leaders these days is just a sense of overwhelm. There's a sense that I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. Do you keep running into that when you when you run into leaders? Yeah, the, the issue is it's kind of like the, the function of leadership is you're you're the flame and there's a lot of moths around you. 
And malls, I mean, I see this person with talent and charisma and answers. And so the malls aren't doing anything wrong. They're coming to you saying, we need this, we need this. But a lot of leaders don't feel permission to say, I need to prune back the good for the great. That's the biggest problem for leaders there is you, you, you don't have to prune back like bad stuff like robbing banks. Leaders don't rob <laughs> banks. So yeah. you're not getting rid of that. But I got to give up this initiative, this coffee, this project, because it's not the greatest. And it's very hard. Once you learn how to prune out the good, everything changes. That's a really hard one. If you don't mind drilling down on that for a little while, uh, I've done some writing on it. I was, we were just talking beforehand. I'm finishing my book number five. You've written 35. And I've got a section in there on how to say no. Because that, in, with the leaders I deal with, that just comes up all the time. And honestly, it's a lot of the dialogue I have with my own team. Um, two things. Why is saying no so hard? And then how do you do it? Well, like when I've written, you know, Henry Cloud and I've written many boundaries books, we mm-hmm. kind of drill down that way. And there's three reasons. One is because we don't want to lose a relationship and disappoint someone. So if I had this great alliance with somebody and if I say no to their request for more time, more resource, more energy, more focus, more money, then they might pull away from me and I need that relationship which means I've got to have more relationships to cover them up and, and replace them. The second one is, is that we don't want conflict because we don't want to hurt people's feelings and we don't want to get them upset with us. And so that's when you've got to work on, you know, how do you handle people who are disgruntled and can't take a no? Because mature people should take a no, but a lot of people can't take a no. And the third is we don't want to wound people. We don't want to make them lose self-esteem, especially if it's our directs and our key people. We don't want to bust their bubble. We don't want to bust their balloons so that they're disheartened. So we've got to find ways to have boundaries with them and say, I'm not available to them or whatever, in ways that still show value. And there's a lot of science behind that. You know, Carrie, most of what I study is neuroscience now on a leadership level because we're finding out that the way the brain operates, if you operate in healthy ways, according to what the science says, it works in leadership. And there's a way to tell somebody no without worrying about their self-esteem and caring about them that you can be very direct and very gracious and get things done. And the science is telling us how to have those skills. Well, I would love to hear what the science has to say because it's a daily issue for so many listeners of this podcast. What, what, how, how would you do that? Well, one thing is we know that people have a, what's called, a, in my world, the clinical psychology world, a, a persecutory judge. And the persecutory judge says they're after you. They don't like you. Uh, you know, Carrie's mad at me. He's, yeah. Why is he picking on me and nobody else? And you've got to defeat that or they can't hear what you have to say when you correct them or disappoint them or whatever. So what you've got to do is you've got to come up and, with affirmations and say, by the way, we're going to talk about some, some disruptive stuff as positive disruption. But before I get into the content issue, you know how important you are to us and to me and on the team. I don't know what we do without you. And I love where we're going. So, But I want to, I want to solve this wrinkle. You've heard about the whole, you know, confrontation sandwich, right? Yeah. You, know, yeah. you, you tell them some stuff here, then you do the baloney in the middle, and then you tell them some stuff here. It's, it's the, the neuroscience is saying that's the way you do it. And then the, the persecutory judge is, is located in the amygdala, the fight or flight. It calms down. It goes, oh, you're not getting beat up. You're not getting fired. They're not judging you. They like you. I can hear what Carrie has to say now. So we're finding out so much about those skills. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so I, I asked Michael Hyatt to do this uh, a few months ago on the podcast because he, you know, like most of us, like you, gets inundated with lots yeah. and lots of requests for his time. So let's say I'm heading to California. I'm going to hang out with you. 
And I, I, you know, I don't have your cell phone, but I'm like, hey, John, can we get together for that coffee? I want you to tell me no, but I want you to do it in an emotionally intelligent way. How okay, are we, are, are we on the phone now, Carrie? Are, we, are you texting me? How are we handling it? Because that, that makes a difference in the okay, nuance. Okay, well, let's make it, because an email is a little bit easier to say no to than, than so let's yeah, say that, I somehow got kin- your that's phone. That's kind of kindergarten. We that's kindergarten, right? Okay, so let's say, let's say it's a phone call. I somehow got your number, got through to you. Like, John, you know, I love that podcast episode we did. I'm landing on Tuesday. Uh, I'm there for a week. So all of a sudden you have all this time. It's not like you can say, oh, you know what? I'm busy that night. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get together for breakfast or coffee or whatever. I'm open. Okay. How do you all tell right, me now, no? Now, I do a lot of role playing in my leadership training. So yeah. I need for you to do one thing, Carrie. I need you to push back and be a little bit defensive. Don't just take my answer at okay. face value. Because that's the way it is in real life if we're doing yeah, training. Yeah, it is. It right? is. Okay. okay, great. Uh, this is going to so, be fun. So, so glad to hear from you, Carrie. You know, I, um, I have often wanted to get to where you are, and what an opportunity. Um, I just checked my schedule. Oh, my gosh, I am slammed for the week. I feel so horrible about this. Oh, yeah. No, that's okay, John. What you don't understand is I, I came to California just to meet with you. I know I didn't mm-hmm. tell you, uh, but I kind of got a mm-hmm. whole week. So, I mean, if you can squeeze me in anywhere, I really don't have a lot going on, and whatever I have, I can, I can move it. It would be like the highlight of my life. Oh my gosh, um, I really appreciate that. And I and actually, I've been wanting to meet you for a long time as well, face to face. We know each other by our stuff. But I, I unfortunately, I'm, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm looking at my calendars. We're talking, Carrie, and there is nothing I can move. Unfortunately, I've got like almost overdone stuff, and my assistant is pull, She pulled her hair out this morning. She literally pulled. She has no hair now <laughs> has because no hair. because of of my schedule, and so. The problem is for me to move something, then, you know, it's one, I'm one of those stupid integrity guys. For me to move somebody that has really committed to, for six months to be with me, I would really like not show respect for them. So, gosh, I'm sorry, Carrie. Is there some way that we can pencil out um, at another time? I mean, I'd love to talk to you on the phone tomorrow about this. We can pencil out when I can see you and maybe we can meet halfway in Kansas or something. Is, there, is that a possibility? Oh, you know what, John? That would as disappointed as I am, that would be great. Thank you. Fantastic. You did you did a great job. So you told some of the things I teach in the high impact leader, and it'll come out in my next book, is you don't have to be totally slammed. You could have write my next book in as your appointment, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. could be yep. um date my wife. It could be uh, I'm mm-hmm. doing golf with my buddy or yep. whatever it happens to be. But that that I don't okay. have to justify it. Say that again. That I don't have to great. justify it. Here, here's five words that changed my life. And when I started teaching this, everybody went, every CEO went, thank you. Five words that will change your life are, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> now, 99% of the people go, okay, it doesn't work for you. Okay, when can we do it? Now, there are some people that will say, well, why doesn't it work for you? We call those people with personality disorders. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Then you're in another category, right? Right. But if you just say no and you feel like you got to tell them what you're doing and what time you're working out and what time, that's crazy. That doesn't work for me. Most same people go, yeah, I I have that feeling and let's move on. It's just a, it's a nice way of saying it. It doesn't feel as mean as just no. It feels connected and feels respectful. Okay, so while I got you and while we're on this subject, I just, I feel like I need to get my PhD in saying no, only because I I joke with my staff all the time that that's what I pay them for 
is to say no. And with the leaders I, I work with, everybody's drowning in overwhelm. Um, you know, even the pastor of a small church or somebody who runs a company, mm. you know, they've, they've still got a hundred people who want their time. What do you do with the person that you have just decided for whatever reason you're never going to meet with? Like, it doesn't matter when I come back to California or when you land in Kansas, I'm just not one of those people you're going to meet with. Is there, is there a nice way to do that? Or are you just being a jerk if you just have those people in your mind that you're like, ah, actually, we're never going to meet? Well, 99.9% of those conversations are handled by my staff. Yeah. Because if they get to me, you know, I shouldn't be able to talk to the president of the United States today. If I can reach him on his cell phone, we've got a problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. Something's going wrong. So 99.9% of the people that are sort of, it'll never work, my staff handles, and, and I just have a protocol. And and the, there's th- I'm kind of a magic word guy. The three magic words there are, for the foreseeable future. Gotcha. Never is really mean. Yeah, <laughs> never, never is kind of mean, right? It is. Yeah, but, but foreseeable means, who knows, something could change before the... And, you know, I've been told that years, years ago when I was trying to reach other people. I was told that and I went, great, no problem. So the foreseeable future says, sure, I'm open, but let's don't plan to say, well, wait three months, six months, a year, then people are kind of on the hook and you're, you're feeling weird because you didn't want to do it in the first place and they feel like a low priority. Don't let them die by a, a thousand razor cuts. Just, just say for the foreseeable future and people kind of get it. I get it. And they move on. And you try to, I, I never leave somebody though. This is important to me on a values level with leadership, Kerry. I never leave somebody when I, when my staff says foreseeable future with nothing else to do. Uh, she, my staff, my, my executive assistant will say, but John also wanted you to say, this person's a good resource. And this person has a lot of same kind of skill sets. And then they feel like, okay, I'm not just left hanging. So always provide some resource when you say foreseeable future. Right. So for a pastor, it could be, you know what, I'm going to send you to a counselor who can gladly deal with your, your issues or somebody you don't want to deal business with, with, you know, there's, there's five other companies that would love to feature your product. Can I introduce you to a couple of the guys? Okay. People appreciate that. Okay. This is good. I don't know that this is just my particular thing. Regular listeners will know I come back to this from time to time, but I've got one of the world's leading experts on it. So I thought, thank you so much for that. That was a gift. I think you, you sharpened everyone's skill set. So um, one of the things, John, when we met last year, uh, we were at the same event and I heard you say that high performing leaders, and you've hinted at it already, have, a, uh, have worse negative self-talk than other people which seems counterintuitive. In other words, the higher you go, the louder the negative voice in your head happens to be. Tell me why. Yeah, that, this is what I write about in the book that I just released, People Fuel, about filling your tank with life, love, and leadership, Carrie, is that one of the things I've noticed after working with hundreds and hundreds and, and actually thousands now of, of leaders is to get to where they got to, they kind of had to be mean to themselves, unfortunately. You know, nobody got there who said to themselves when they screwed up or made a mistake or needed to get up in the morning who said, hey, just chill out and, you know, drink a smoothie. You're a nice guy. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't get to those places. That they, they had sort of a mean, uh, we call it the judge again in their head, and it was kind of harsh. And he or she would say stuff like, it's all on you or, you know, everybody's going to be disappointed or you might not qualify. And it, it rose them to high levels. The problem is – it doesn't work long term. Mm. 
sooner or later, you just give up and you're going to go, I'm so tired of beating myself up and saying these awful things to myself. So you have to do what we call when I when I take teams and through business and stuff like that, modifying the internal judge. And you have to modify the judge. So instead of saying you're such a screw up, everybody's disappointed, you'll never make it to, to be two things. It has to be warm and it has to be accurate. That internal judge, that self-monitoring part of myself has to be warm and accurate. So I come away from the meeting and I'm, and I'm, and I'm driving home. And instead of saying, oh, my gosh, you just sucked. You're the worst. I've trained the judge to say, you did your best. You could have done better. And I think you could have talked like less about your own story, maybe other people's stories. You didn't list that well, but you're, you know, you're, you're learning from that. Then I kind of go, okay, I didn't feel great, but I make some notes and I change. As long as you train your judge to be warm, not mean, and accurate, like on target where the correction is, then you stop being that way. So what got you there, which is driving yourself too hard, it will not, and I can tell you this, it will not take you to that next level of scale. You've got to be nicer to yourself. That's really interesting, you know, John, because as I hear you talk about that and, and, you know, you write about it, that sounds a little bit like my journey. The internal critic is still there, but it was much mm-hmm. meaner 20 years mm-hmm. ago than, than he is today. And I do a lot of that processing. How do, you, how do you soften? How do you make your inner critic healthy? How do, you make, how, do you, how do you do that journey from the, oh man, you totally screwed that up and you should just quit to, wow, I really didn't handle that well. And uh, what can I learn? Let's go back to the neuroscience, care because the answer is there. And, and this is what I talk a lot about in the book is you can't do it just by talking to yourself. That's helpful. Talking yeah. to yourself is helpful. But where the real transformational change is, is in relationship. Meaning, I take my judge to somebody that's safe, that I trust, that cares about me and is honest and all those good things. And I say, I just did the presentation. I think it was the worst in the world. And I'm just beating myself up. And I just feel like I let everybody down. And that person in my life, outside my skin, says to me, yeah, I saw the video, and you weren't, you weren't at your top of your game. Probably you were stressed, but um, you're okay with me, and I'll help you. So what can we do to make it better? I'm, you, know, you and I are okay. I'm not judging you at all. And all of a sudden, it's called internalization. I internalize their eye contact and their warmth and the fact that they're on my team and they care about me, and the judge calms down. We found out that when we have empathic contact from other people, truthful but empathic, all of a sudden, the actual wiring of our brain changes. This is the miracle of neuroscience, Carrie, for leadership, is that we can actually change the neuronic structure by healthy relational conversations. We found out that that when people have a great relational conversation with an empathic, caring, truthful, honest person, that as they hear it and have a different new experience of, oh, you don't think I'm the worst person in the world – that the actual ways that we talk to ourselves changes. It's a little bit like saying the app in my smartphone can change the operating system. It really is that profound. Uh, everybody's going crazy about it because we're finding out you can act. You, people used to say, well, my brain is always the way my brain is. Nope. You can change your brain by the right conversation with the right people. It's like magic. Which gets to the heart of your book, People Fuel. Right. And I imagine some of the people who are listening, leaders listening are like, well, I wish I had someone like that in my life, but I don't. Um, isolation and loneliness is a, is a growing issue. And you, you talk about in People Fuel that a lot of leaders relational circle boils down to God, myself and Max. Can, can you explain what do you yes. mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, a lot of times a company will call me or a board will call me or CEO will call me and say, you know, I've heard that I need, you know, I want to optimize myself. And so I'll, I'll go fly out and I'll do an analysis of them. You know, what's your mission? What's your vision? What's your strengths? What's your team? What's your strategy? And then I'll get to them and I'll say, tell me about your relationships. And they'll say, oh, my relationships are great because that means they've heard of me and they know that they have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'll say, well, great. Tell me about your great relationships. And they'll say, well, I've got all, uh, I'm mentoring these people and I'm, and I'm, and I'm leading these people. I'm guiding these people. I'm directing these people. I'm coaching these people. And I'll go, oh my gosh, I need to take a nap. I'm getting tired of listening to you. I'll say, look, that's, that's all outflow. Oh, and I get it. That's what leaders do with outflow. Tell me about your inflow because you need the inflow to keep your little leadership engine running. So where's the inflow? And they'll go, I got great inflow. I'll say, great. Tell me about your great inflow. Well, I've got God because I'm a person of faith. And I've got a great spouse who understands my insecurities and my fears and can listen to me. And my Labrador Retriever, Max. And I'll say, so that's your support team? They go, yeah, what's wrong with that? And I'll go, well, let's, let's kind of parse this. First off, God is God. That's kind of what he does. So, I mean, he's going to do that anyway. Secondly, Max is genetically engineered to lick your face because Max knows he needs to eat. And so, so what, right? <laughs> okay. And then your spouse is probably really tired. And by this time, the spouse walks in the room and says, please talk to him, talk to him. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that listens to the insecurities and the fears and the dreams all the time. Can't you get him to have some friends? And I'll, I'll say, so I'll say, sir or ma'am, a lot of ma'ams out there too with this problem. Yeah. I'll say, you got a great thing going. You got great vision, great mission. You got a great product, great strategy, but you're in what I call relational deficit. And they'll go, no, nah, that doesn't sound like me. I'll say, well, let me explain it. And I'll talk about the concept of relational nutrients. Because in the book, I, talk, I take the concept of bionutrients. You and I have talked about this, Gary, mm -hmm. where our body needs certain nutrients. We need calcium so we don't get osteoporosis. We need iron so we don't get um, anemia. Well, in the same way, I've, I've actually I've trademarked the, ter the term relational nutrients, which I took from bionutrients, that there are these elements that we give each other. There's 22 in four categories that we give each other through a conversation uh, that my brain gives it to your brain and your brain gives it to my brain. We don't take a pill. And I'll tell the CEO or the pastor or the owner, I'll say, you don't have enough of these in your life, meaning you don't have the right people delivering these. You're giving and giving and giving and dog and God and, and spouse are not everything you need. You need a life team of three to 10 people that know it all about you and are on your team no matter what. And then they'll go out and build the team because I have specifics on how to build the team with the nutrients. They'll come back four months later. It takes a few months, honestly. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I was seeing in black and white and that's in color now. I didn't know that I could be this open to this many people and they really care about me and they feel honored that I'm opening up. I thought I had to be the strong one, the strong one, the strong one, the strong one. And now I feel like I'm getting my tank full. It's like night and day, Carrie. John, how do we get ourselves in that position and why do we get ourselves in that position? Why? Because, you know, the, the old saying leadership is lonely and that's got a basis in reality. How does that happen? Well, there are a few reasons. When you when you study leadership on a performance and a research level, you find out a few dynamics are happening. Um, one is um, self-sufficiency, that somehow in their training, either in family of origin with mom and dad or in school or in their leadership training or whatever, they were taught 
that um, you've got to have all the answers and be the strong one. And nothing can be further from the truth. All the research points the other way. The, you know, the Superman, Captain America, Wonder Woman uh, leader is not a leader people follow because they can't identify with them. So one is self-sufficiency. Another is bad experiences with rejection. I found out when I opened up and told somebody, I'm kind of a hot mess today. I got some struggles. I got some stresses that somebody really used it against them, judged them or criticized them. And they, and, and so we do a thing called generalization. Well, if that's what the human race is like, I'm never going to open up again. So self-sufficiency is a big part. Rejection is another part. And then another part is shame. And shame is that internal function that we all have. We all have a bit of shame in us that says, I don't want to appear weak. I don't appear like I've got it together. And so nobody will know. And those three guys Self-sufficiency, self-judgment, or I'm sorry, or self-sufficiency and rejection and shame, that'll keep a leader locked up and doing nothing but outgo and call it relationship and no inflow. And so you know what we're finding out now about the research, Kerry? No. Leaders that don't have great, a few great relationships where they're fully known, they tend to have poor performance, struggles in relationships, more medical problems, and more emotional problems. I mean, it's not even like a luxury, like, oh, yeah, kumbaya, that's a nice thing. Go to H. You know, my HR department handles that. You're going to die too soon and you're not going to receive your mission. So it's fact and it's hard science. Isn't that interesting? Does that also, that kind of isolation set you up for moral failure or some kind of like unethical behavior? Is, is that a predictor of that or not really? No, a- absolutely. What we find out about that is that nature abhors a vacuum. And so if you don't have solid people in you. The way, the way I tell leaders is there's these three phases. You, you want to be fully functioning. I want to be a fully functioning person. I want to have all my, you know, 16 cylinders running like a Lamborghini. I want to make my mission. I want to be fully functioning and optimized. But to be fully functioning, I've got to be fully connected and loved. I've got to have people in my tank. But to be fully loved, here's the hard part, I've got to be fully known. Uh-oh. Hmm. People got to know the good, bad, and the ugly. And so I, I go, I'll just be half known. Well, that means I'll be half loved and I'll be half functioning. But, or I'll, I don't want that. I don't want that life. If it takes a risk to be fully known and you all the screw-ups I have and you still like me and that fills up my tank, then I won't be fully functioning. So what I'll tell them is, you know, if nature abhors a vacuum, if you're not getting that tank full – your brain's going to go somewhere else. It's going to go to a relationship you shouldn't have. It's where there's comfort. Or it's going to go to a substance, you know, maybe drinking too much or substances. Or our old buddy, workaholism. You and I, we're, you and I work with people around the world that are stuck in workaholism. It's just as addictive as the other things are. So anytime somebody's got a relationship that's struggling them with a substance or a behavior like workaholism, it means there's a vacuum of attachment. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, and that, and I, I want to spend a bit of time on this. You talk about the seven relationships, or maybe you want to talk about the quadrants first. Is there anything else you want to say about that? I'd like to just at least tell people what those calcium and, you know, and iron things are. Yeah, so no, 100%. Because I, I train corporations and ministries through this now. There are these four quadrants of things we're supposed to give to others and receive from others. And if you get those in your head, you'll know, okay, they're in deficit or I'm in deficit. Quadrant number one is be present. Be present. Now, it means shut up and listen. And leaders have a hard time. We always have a nugget. We always want to share that. Not time for that. Sometimes when people are struggling, they need empathy, and I'm with you, and I'm with you in your well, in your well of struggle. I'm with you in your well of challenge. Just be there for me. Accept me. Not a lot of words. 
Quadrant number two is convey the good. Sometimes we need a little shot of emotional Prozac giving us oxytocin when we've just had a stress or a failure or a hard conversation. We're down on ourselves. We need somebody to encourage us and say, hey, I still believe in you. I'm on your team. I respect you. It lifts us up. That's conveying the good. Third quadrant is provide reality. Sometimes we need that Yoda figure that says, okay, here's where you're Here's why your cash flow did this. Here's what happened with you when your marketing plan failed. Here's what happened when you got a culture problem. I've done this before. I've done this a million times. We need that wise person who give us the answers that way we need. That's providing reality, good data, good information, good facts. Fourth quadrant is call to action. Sometimes we need a kick in the butt and somebody's got to say, you know, you got to do something. You got to go have that hard conversation. You got to do that report. You got to do that scary thing. You got to spend that money and I'll be behind you. I'll be with you. And all of us every week, Carrie, we need somebody to be present with us when we're struggling, to convey good that they believe in us, to give us great data and information and feedback, and to call us to action. And as a leader, we need to be giving that to our people. And we need to be discerning enough to know. What does that person need right now? So that's why in the book, I've got that in a table form. You can go to lunch with somebody, and as you're listening to them, say, you know, they don't really need advice right now. They're so down on themselves. If I kicked them in the butt, it'd be so discouraging. I think they need to know I believe in them. So it helps you to know how to give people what they need, and even more importantly, to receive what you need from the people in your life. It gives you a structure. That's so good. And even the be present thing, you and I were talking before we started recording that you know, one of my um, concerns, pet peeves, is what I call the death of conversation. I wrote about that in my last book, Didn't See It Coming. But it feels like conversation tends to be a bit of a status update these days. Here's what's going on in my life. No question for you. You talk at me. I talk at you. And then it's over. Do you want to say a little bit more about that and the importance <laughs> yeah. of like real conversation? It's a big deal. In fact, I talk about, I'm so glad you mentioned this because I'm. I really see the power of great conversations and how disempowering bad conversations are. Yes. So I, I talk about to build your own life team, here's what you got to do. You got to, you know, if you, people say, well, there's nobody that every, every, every group I join, I end up leading every relationship I have, I end up mentoring, you know, it's just kind of like the loneliness of the leader. I'll say, here's what you got to do. You got to go to your Microsoft Outlook contacts list. We've all got, I don't know, a thousand or so people in our list. And you go through the list and you go, who would be a good candidate for somebody I could really open up to? Because you got to pick and choose and you'll come up. I've done this to myself because I want to eat my own cooking, right? So mm. it takes a, an hour or two and you'll go, oh, nice person. Oh, I haven't seen them for a while. Then you'll go, oh, they're still in federal prison. Maybe not a good idea. And then, you know, so <laughs> you go through the list and you'll end up with 20 or 30 people who think, you know, they might be a good person to open up to. And you call them and say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while, thought about you, and let's grab lunch. So you grab lunch. And this the system involves three lunches with a fourth meeting. And lunch number one, instead of having the what you call the status, like I'm achieving all these things, which is so boring, you talk about life and sports and business and all that stuff, how your family, but you make one vulnerable step. You stick your toe in the vulnerability water just a little bit. You kind of open up about something. You'll say something like, well, we did kind of struggle in cash flow or I've got some problems with my team. They're not gelling or one of my kids is, you know, I don't know, she's 13 and she's smoking dope. It's scaring me. But something like that where you, you leave an entree. Now, you're going to get one of three responses that are going to tell you whether you move on with that person or not. Number one response goes like this. So your kid's smoking dope or you got, uh, you got culture problems? Yeah, I did. 
you know, the weather around here is phenomenal. Can you <laughs> believe it? Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. The guy who right. doesn't want to go there. Gary, what are they telling? They're telling you something. What's their message? Yeah. Well, the message is I don't know how to handle that. I'm, I don't know how yeah, to handle it. I'm out. You're, you're kind of making me anxious. Nice person, but never the A-team. Second response is, oh, you got problems of culture? Okay, I got 14 books for you to read. And are you getting up early in the morning and really thinking about your team? You know you need to be the first in the last out. It's probably your issue. And I think another thing you need to know is there's a great video I'm going to show you right now. Advice, 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 advice. When you just wanted somebody to be there, they're telling you, I just feel comfortable when I give advice. The advice monster, right? So not the A-team either. The advice, no. So the, so the diverter to, to the weather and the – no. Third one – is the money. They put down their fork from their chicken salad and they lean forward, literally lean forward. And they look at you and they go, you got culture problems? Yeah, it's kind of hard. I, man, I'm so sorry. I love your company. I love what you're doing. And I love your vision. How does that feel? It must be discouraging. Yes, yeah, discouraging. Hey, what can I do for you? I want to know more about it. How can I help? What they're telling you is your vulnerability draws me in. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to advise you. I'm there with you. What we call in the book we're in the well of challenge. You're in the well with me. And that tells you that might work. Have another lunch and do the same thing. Have another lunch, do the same thing. And then by about the third one, they're starting to open up too because leaders don't have anybody to talk to because like I said, they ended up leading everybody. And about the fourth meeting, third or fourth meeting, you say, you know, I'm getting intentional about my personal growth. My professional growth is great. And I love, you know, I'm in, I'm in decent shape and my marriage is good and all this. But I'm not been intentional about me. And I'm finding that I'm reading a lot of research about how important that is. I would like to like meet with some very mm, high performing and yet good, good listening people in my life to just go through life with on some structured level. And it can't be I see you when I see you because I'll never see you. I mean, I want to like meet every couple of weeks for lunch or whatever. And before they finish, the person goes, I'm in. I mean, it's that fast. And you know why? Because the other person, and because when I take CEOs through this, the other person goes, what are you talking about? I have to be in. I don't have these conversations with anybody about my wife either. And man, I love it that you opened up. I can't tell anybody this. And all of a sudden, you've got a real friend. And that's where the magic happens. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you gave us the play-by-play -play on that. You know, talking one of the top psychologists in the world and it's so funny because my journey as a leader, like when I was in my 30s, one of my big aha moments is, wait a minute, relationships are mutual. And you don't just start with, oh, I'm going into the deep end of the pool. You start in the shallow end and it has to be reciprocated. They're mutual and they're reciprocated. Another thing, I've had a long-term friend who is always in that second category, advisor. Just as soon as I said anything, you know, where it was like, yeah, you know, I'm just not really sure about whether I should hire this person or not. It was like, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. and and yeah. eventually that he, friendship. Jerry, he has, he has a compulsive disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop. The friendship is, no, he can't. And the friendship isn't where it was a decade ago because I'm like, no, I'm, I just need someone to hang in the fog with me for a little bit. Hang in the fog. And you know what happens? So many times we don't need the advice. We just need to know somebody gets it and they understand, and we solve our own problems. I mean, I was in clinical practice before I started doing all the leadership stuff, and I, sometimes I would just be there with a client, and I would say, so it sounds like you're overwhelmed and it makes you feel alone and like, like you're kind of also kind of scared about this. And they'll go, yeah, you get it, you get it. And I'll say, well, do you want some solutions? They'll go, no. 
I'll go, why? I have lots of solutions. They'll go, because I'm smart. I can figure my solutions. I just needed to know I wasn't alone and somebody got it. It's that powerful. No, and I love that. And I love the fact that you kind of sequence it through four lunches or four gatherings where it's like we're not in the deep end overnight. And I got to tell you, this is just therapeutic, but I've, I've known Andy Stanley for a while. You know Andy well. And what a, Andy, Andy endorsed the book, and he's a great guy. There you go. Well, there's Andy. And one of my favorite things when I get some time with Andy is I might pitch a problem or something or he asks me how it's going. One of my favorite things to hear Andy, Andy Stanley say is, you know, Carrie, I, I don't know. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel so much better. Isn't that great? Because you think he's an advice machine and he's one of the smartest human beings in the world that I know anyway. And when Andy just goes, yeah, I don't know either. It, there's yeah. a comfort in that that I don't know what that is. Well, they found out that there's two kinds of leaders, the um, the invulnerable, invulnerable leader, like Superman, and then the vulnerable leader. And they, they measured which one people are more loyal to. And you would think, well, you'd be more loyal to Superman or Wonder Woman, right? Because they're bulletproof and all this. Not true. The research says people are that people walk over hot coals for the vulnerable leader who says, and they're meeting, you know, I, I, I was checked out. I was asleep at the wheel. I didn't have my act together, and it's my fault. I'm going to change all this. I'm going to own what I did. And you think, gosh, why do you want to be around a loser like that? They would walk over hot coals, and here's why. Because of what's called the, in psychology the principle of identification. We get closer to people we can identify with that have feet of clay, and they mess up like we mess up. I can't identify with Superman. He's on another planet. Right. He's an alien. I can't be like him. And so I might look up to him, but I can't identify. But I can identify with the leader says. That one's on me. I'm going to change that. I go that I know how she feels. I know how, how he feels. And we are much closer. So the principle of identification says when Andy Stanley and I feel the same way about Andy, too. When Andy Stanley says, oh, gosh, me either. You feel this relief like you understand what it's like to be me. I want more of a relationship. Hmm. That's so good to know. And it's so counterintuitive to all the stereotypes you think about in leadership. Now, John, I know you got a, a whole group of people waiting for you. Do we have time to just quickly run through the seven groups of people we need? Or are we just going to gloss over that too quickly? You're kind of gaming the system with that question. I'm gaming Kerry. the system with the question. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to, or, or at least do, it, we it, can it's, do, it's we need like to, what, you know, my, I have, Attorney friends that talk like that to me. I don't know why I'm saying this. Well, I am so. a former lawyer. So. Yeah, that's why I was saying there you this. Go. You know, you know. So. Absolutely. It's okay. important to go through those seven. Very well, good. Well, the coaches, coaches. And we can do we can do the thumbnail version. Because um, I thought this, when I heard you talk about this and I read about it in the book, you've got a chapter for each of them. So people should buy the book and go deeper. These are the seven we need for the life system, the people, the relationships we, we'll come across in our life. But let's start with the first, coaches. Yeah, you, you want your life team to have great people. And so I, I've got those seven in order of the quality of nutrients they bring us to higher quality to lower quality for mm-hmm. lots of reasons. Number one, coaches. Those are the people that have their 10,000 hours, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, in some area that you don't have time to grow in. It might be in metrics. It might be in strategy. It might be in personal growth. It might be in spiritual growth. It might be in family. But you, pro, coaches are either a pro bono or they're hired, but they have, their all, they have everything together that you need, and they know how to coach. There's some people that know a lot of things, subject matter expert. They don't know how to coach. At the Townsend Institute, we give people a master's in coaching because there's an entire science of coaching. I've got two or three coaches all the time for different aspects of my life. And Harvard Business Review says you get 3x of what you spend on a coach. High, high nutrient value. 
high neutral value. Second level is comrades, the second C. And comrades are what I call your life team. That's three to 10 people that we've kind of spent our time on this on our podcast together, Carrie. Three to 10 people that know it all, care about you all, and they and they want they want to be to be there for you, but also they want they want you to change. And they are mute. I love that word mutual. They're mutual with you. They're in the fight together. They're in the fray together. They're dependable. They'll text you and say, "How's it going?" They're kind of your comrades in arms and very very high nutrient value. We're growing together with each other. Third is is casuals and casual are those cool friends that you kind of don't know. Maybe your neighbor or somebody, you, your, your kids are both in soccer and you meet them or you see them at church a few times a year. Just have lunch with them. And they're just kind of like nice, positive people. But also they're kind of a farm team for the comrades because uh, if you find yeah. you deeper with them and they can be vulnerable, eh, they may make it to that other because you got to always be finding out where those comrades are. But a great farm team is your casual, just positive people. Fourth is colleagues, because leadership is about work, and we spend so much of our time at work. You can't always pick your colleagues. Sometimes they're just given to you. But a great colleague has three capacities. One is that they are relationally driven. Number two is they're competent. They're good at their field. Number three, they can work on teams. That's what our research says. You want your colleagues to be relational people, then they just don't want to stay in their cubicle, but also really good at what they do. No excuses, high-performing, and work well on teams. So as much as you can – be around colleagues that have those capacities. Then the fifth one is care, meaning all of us as leaders need to care about others who can't do what we can do and need us. Uh, anything from mentoring a young business professional uh, or somebody who's just trying to start off and helping them know where to work on business plans and strategy and their own health, uh, or even something like helping a developing nation to develop water wells or helping sex trafficking. We're all designed to give back. And the funny thing about the neuroscience, what it says about this, Carrie, is if you give back and you don't get anything for it and somebody just says to you, I don't know where I'd be without you. Uh, I don't know where we'd be without you. It releases more oxytocin in your system and you feel great. You feel positive. You feel like I took my place in the world. And it reinforces that system so you want to do it again. So all wow. of us need to be in the care aspect of life. You know, I'll be flying home from some benefit that I did or a board I'm on. And I'll, my first thought after I, I was there, I'll think, why am I not doing that more? I feel so mm. good. Good system. The sixth C is a little little darker. It's chronics. And chronics has to do with people that sort of never get their act together because of their lack of sort of interest in that. I, I'm originally from the South, Carrie. I live in California now, but I was raised in the South. And we have people we call bless their heart. <laughs> bless their heart. Bless their heart. He's, and, he's and doing his best. He's spinning his wheels. Spinning his wheels. And, you know, they're not mean people. They're not malicious people. But you leaders put so much time and energy into mentoring and guiding and giving assignments and homework and blah, blah, blah. And, and psychology... There's the term that we use is these people. I'm not being funny now. I'm actually being. I'm kind of being funny, but it's yeah. it's accurate. They have a flat learning curve. A, I a laughed flat, out loud when I read that in your book. A flat yeah. learning curve. So you give them all these assignments to change their life and their business and their marriage, and you see them the next week at Starbucks, and you say, "How'd it go?" And they say, oh, "It's all bad." And you go, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Did you do my assignments?" No, I was kind of busy. And you realize <laughs> they're not in there for the growth. 
they're in there because you're a positive person and you they like you, but you're kind of a four-hour Prozac for them. In four <laughs> hours after they leave the Starbucks, they're so high, they're so great because Carrie and John talk to them, and then they just make the same mistakes and just jump in the, in the swamp again. Flat learning curve. Got to watch out for that. That's a time drain. And the seventh one is contaminants. And contaminants, actually, unfortunately, there's not just – uh, flat learning curve people. There's bad people out there. There are people who don't have your your best wishes, and they want to dis- they want to hurt your your company. They want to hurt your church. They want to divide your family. They don't want to divide your soul. And you cannot have any time spent with them. You've got to kick the dust off your sandals and make sure you're not around them. So when I go through the system with a with a group or a team, I'll say, let's take a look at these seven coaches, comrades, all the way down to contaminants, and I'll say, what do you see? And they'll all go, I'm bottom heavy. I am bottom heavy, and I don't mean a hundred percent. I got so many care relationships. I got too many. I'm on too many boards. I'm discipling too many people. I'm mentoring too many people. I got too many people that are chronics that have no interest in getting better. And I got a couple of contaminants. And how, how about your top? I don't have a coach, and I don't have comrades. And so the the message of the book is. All right, you've got to reframe here. First thing you got to do is build up your coaching category and your comrade category and then start pruning back on the others. Then we're going to right size it. That's where health comes from, that's where energy comes from, creativity, positive mood, focus. It comes from having the right nutrients from the right people. No, that is so good. And I mean, that was one of my questions is most leaders I know are bottom heavy. And bottom just heavy. to be totally clear as we wrap up, John, Number seven, and you say this, Henry Cloud writes about this, your colleague, longtime colleague in Necessary Endings, but really zero time for people with malicious intent or what sometimes yep. get called evil people. Like if yep. they're out to destroy you, you you don't need to spend time with them. They don't get a long lingering dinner talking about philosophy. I, I give them like one meeting or two yeah. just to make sure that I've got the diagnostics right because maybe they are just kind of foolish Gary, I don't ever want to be a rude person, and I want to. If somebody needs a warning, I tell them there's a warning. I try to do the hard thing and mm-hmm. say, you know, you got to change some attitudes here because I'm concerned about you. And sorry, we we just can't keep meeting. I'm I've got to go do some other things, and I have angered some people that unfortunately were were contaminants. But you know what? I saved my my marriage and my family and my finances and my business. Sometimes you just got to. Cut it off. Right. Do you have a limited bandwidth too for chronics? Like if someone has a flat learning curve, it's like, okay, I got one slot in my life and you filled it and I'm not going to fill others. Like how does that work? (laughs) Everybody's going to, we're always going to keep a chronic or two around. Maybe just for love purposes or who knows, or just have (laughs) stories or to tell. But um, yeah, I've got a couple. and, And the thing about it is what I've learned is that I don't like to like leave people totally unless they're a bad person. A chronic, I'll just kind of, what I'll try to do is I'll just, just try to have less bandwidth. Like instead of meeting every week, we can meet once a quarter. Now, there's some people that are for the foreseeable future for some reason. But I've got a few <laughs> chronics that, you know, I'll either say, look, I can send you to somebody that can see you every week. I'm good for twice a year or once a quarter, and they'll, they'll make a choice. So I can't, I can't let that mess up the mission. I've got to All keep right. the relationships. While I'm kind, I can't let it mess up the mission. Well, we could have done three hours here. <laughs> I mean, 35 books in, People Fuel is your latest. John, uh, I was telling you before we started recording too, uh, back in the day, you had, I think it was still dial-up days, you had like a crazy amount of videos of advice. And as a young pastor, I used to read those and 
just wow. try to figure out, you know, wow, these guys are smart. And so it's been a thrill to be able to interview you, have you on the podcast. Tell us where they can find you these days and where they can find the book and what the, sure. about the um, book. By, by the way, Carrie, um, if you called me because you were in LA for a week and you had a lot of time, I, we'd make it happen. So don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> You're Just... a good man, John. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, the website is drtownsendlikedrtownsend.com. The book's available on certainly Amazon and Barnes and Noble, these guys. And people can find out from the website, not only the book, but also the Townsend Institute. We can give people a master's in organizational leadership, a master's in coaching, a master's in counseling, all online with my material, all through the science and neuroscience, very remarkable skills. And also for people that don't want an academic degree, they can get go to the Townsend Leadership Program, which is a professional training program. You meet with other leaders we got 40, I don't know how many we got, directors across the country now where you can meet in your location once a month for an intensive day of training, EQ work, strategy work, and all that. So Professionals, Townsend Leadership Program, Academic, Townsend Institute, it's on the website. We will uh, link to all that in the show notes. John, it's been a thrill. Thank you so much for building into leaders uh, on the podcast today. And thanks for what you do, Carrie. Appreciate it. I love that interview with John, man. Uh, the guy is just so wise. It's one of those things where, honestly, we could have spent like two days together just talking. I, I just love him and Henry Cloud. Again, if you want to go back and uh, hear from Henry, they've done a lot of writing together over the years. You can find that at episode 160. And of course, we are at five years almost. And so we got a giveaway happening. We're going to give nine of you because we got nine million downloads. Uh, nine of you, five books of your choice from any podcast guest. So fill up your library a little bit, help with the budget, and you can get all the details on my socials. So Carrie Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Facebook and on Twitter. And we hang out there all the time. So I've got lots of content and that will be the gateway into all the other things I do, like writing books and blogging, speaking. We produce new content every week in a variety of forms, not just this podcast. So Thanks for making the journey so rewarding. We are back soon with a new episode. In fact, my next guest is going to be Todd Wilson and J.D. Greer. Todd is the president of Exponential, J.D. Greer, a pastor, um, and I got to tell you, author, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to talk about multiplying churches and how to multiply your influence. Whether you're a business leader or a church leader, I think you're going to find it really interesting. So uh, that is coming up again soon. Plus, we have, oh man, we are just stacked with some great guests. N.T. Wright, David Kinneman, uh, Clay Scroggins, my wife, Tony, Deanne Turner, Louis Giglio, Mark Batterson, Gordon McDonald, Patrick Lencioni. I'm flying up to San Francisco to hang out with him. Albert Tate, Steve Green, Carlos Whitaker, all kinds of people coming up on the show. And of course, if you subscribe, you get it all for free, including the archive, which is kind of fun. So don't forget to check out the incredible deals happening over at promediafire.com forward slash carry, where you can get custom graphic design support for your church. And don't miss just a few days left for this offer. What's happening over on Ministry Grid? If you want to train all your volunteers, $399 a year, you're locked into that price year after year. Plus, if you order before September 1st, you get my latest book, Didn't See It Coming, as a bonus offer on top of all of this. But you got to go to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry to get more. And thanks so much to our partners. I mean, these are the guys who allow me to go and do these interviews, to fly. I'm doing more and more in-person interviews, flying into cities and trying to bring you this content six times a month. 
And uh, your encouragement is just incredible, guys. So thanks so much. We got a really big month coming up in September. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.